Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of 168,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of the modern architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast, featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, Tom Diaro. Thank you, Darlene. For our guest today, please welcome Peter DiMaria, architect and principal of DiMaria Design Associates, a creative and innovative design firm offering architecture, planning, and branding, and interior design services. In their quest to unlock the widest array of design possibilities. They explore disciplines and successful models, case studies beyond the boundaries of architecture. They team up with uh, experts, public and private entities, and educational institutions from various fields in unrelenting design process. For more information, feel free to visit www.demariadesign.com. That's www.de. M-A-R-I-A-Design.com. Hello, Peter. We're excited and honored to have you on our show today. Hi, Tom, and thanks for having me. Oh, we're, we're, we're happy, so happy. As you, as you can see, when you first came in, I, Peter, it's you. I know it's you. And uh, we're really happy to have you here. Peter, what, what are some of the early inspirations, if you will, for kind of doing what you do now and where you are now? If you can recall back as far as you can to, to kind of see, hey, you know what, there was a couple of moments or a, a poignant moment, uh, a galvanizing moment that made you kind of know where you are now, you know, back then. Well, I think um, I'd have to go way back without... Please do. Yeah, without telling you how old I am, but I think you might be able to catch some of this. I think most of it's based in our, my roots. I, I'm from an Italian-American neighborhood uh, back in New Jersey. In general, Italians are... Um, I don't think there are any natural resources in Italy. And Italians have, <laughs> have survived. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think they've survived. And it might actually be part of the DNA of an Italian to take something from somewhere else and make it better. And I remember growing up and people say, ah, if you have an Italian gold, that's, that's a really cool type of piece of jewelry. And, and they said, is there any gold in Italy? And they said, there's no gold there. And I go, okay. And the next thing, a buddy of mine says, you know, you're eating that buffalo mozzarella cheese. Yeah. And I said, yeah, is there any buffaloes in Italy? And I was like, I don't think so, man. And, and you start to see this. 
<laughs> enough times, and, and you realize that the Romans, and they conquered, they, they would take something, bring it back, and make it better. But the real clincher was, you know, you're eating pasta, and, and somebody goes, you know, they, they even stole the pasta from China. That's right. <laughs> so they're, they're known for all these things. So after a while, you see this pattern, and you go, wow, this is an incredibly res- resourceful culture. And you begin to wonder, does it become part of their DNA? Does that become a mindset that they adopt? Because I remember growing up as a kid, my grandfather owned a a slaughterhouse. We raised cattle in New Jersey, believe it or not. Uh. And there was no part of that animal that was wasted. Sometimes, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, even when it comes to cooking and things like that. So it always come from a resourceful mindset. Once I got into the architectural world, it seemed to all disappear and it did not seem to be like a priority within the profession for me. And that was fine. But it, it came a point in, in my career where you're, you're really fortunate. You're working on wonderful projects for really great clients down in Los Angeles. And, and you, win, you win a design award. And, and you're really humbled by it and you're flattered. And then two years later, you win another design award. Right? Once again, you're humbled and flattered. And then <laughs> you win another one. And, and this is when it happened. When you're looking for that aha moment, I think this is when it happened with me. After, after that third award, I'm walking up, literally, as I'm walking up to the podium to say thank you and all those things, it dawned on me. I said, is this what it's all about? Really? Is this the impact that I'm supposed to have on mankind? Is, is, and, and that sounds like a lofty type of idea. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, but as architects, we have that ability. We have the ability to impact the built environment, and that has an impact on our, our quality of life. Whether we agree with that or not, it, it happens. So it, when I was going up to that podium, I said, you know, we've got something here with this new construction type and building uh, material, and am I going to squander it? Or, or am I going to help people with it? And why am I the guy who, who is able to figure this thing out? And is it sim- simply going to be for a wealthy client in Brentwood, and that's as far as I'm going to take it. And I said, no. I said, I can do something for, for many people across this planet and have a huge impact and a positive impact, and I'm going down that road now. And, and that was a departure from the traditional architectural practice that I had studied, learned about, and practiced for so many years. Yeah. How long ago was that, if you can recall? Gosh, this is probably in 2000. Eight, so it's relatively new. You really had this sort of, uh, it sounds like, uh, I'm going to use, uh, I think it was um, either Aristotle or, or uh, one of the other Greek uh, philosophers who says the unexamined life is not worth living. And you kind of had that, it seems like. Yes. It's really, it's, it's, you reach a point where you have so much gray hair as an architect. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> and, and you say, you know, I, I can make a difference. And, and, and then it, it almost has nothing to do with architecture. You say, who am I? Yeah. And, 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 well, that's a big and what qu- am I that's doing? a huge question. Who am I? Right. Well, that transcends the architecture. I know it's we're an uh, architect show, but mm-hmm. yeah, I'd like to leave. Who am I? At that point, did you kind of discover who you were or who you weren't? Who I was meant to be. Okay. And I think in, in many ways, uh, if, if I could boil it all down to uh, a simple quote, for so long we looked at, I'd look at architecture as this, <clears throat> um, you know, kind of a... Uh, a profession, a, a professional, or a, a, a creative endeavor, or a creative pursuit. But I started to look at things a bit differently. When I, what it all boils down to is people are meant to be loved and things are meant to be used. Say that again, please. People are meant to be loved okay. and things are meant to be used. And too often, it's the reverse. People love the things. They get involved in the material world. And I'm not here 
to make this, you know, big speech about how we are living in a materialistic society or anything like that. But when I made those observations and, and that, that kind of hit that crossroad, I realized that everything I was doing was for people, for our fellow man. Yeah. And, and if it isn't, it becomes a really shallow endeavor, a really shallow pursuit. And uh, I, I did a project in East Los Angeles, really in the barrio, where the, people are not concerned with architecture there. But it was one of the most moving projects I've ever been involved with. And it put things in perspective for me. And I, uh, while I love architecture, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, volume, texture, materials, proportion, all those different things, all those tools that enable us to execute a built environment that, that's going to make a positive impact, I don't lose track of the priorities. It's, it's about people for me at the end of the day. Yeah. And it just so happens I'm lucky enough to do or to have found some, some different ways or vehicles to, to help folks. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's what's most important to me. So I think that's where the shift took place. And that, like in one night, the entire website came down. There was a whole new approach to it and said, you know what? This is where I'm going. And you don't get to do this twice. You know, you, you go through life and you think, I'm not going to wait for the next one, right? <laughs> so uh, there was, it was that moment. And what happened uh, since then is you start to attract the folks with similar interests and a similar vision. And then it becomes really fascinating because when people are focused on, on a concerted effort, it blossoms into something you could never imagine. So and now none of this has to do with architecture. It all has to do with yeah. living I think it does. I think it, well, of course, it's a, we have a shell of modern architecture. So I believe it does. Mm-hmm. How that uh, put it into perspective and that put it into perspective, and then you said, like, almost overnight, everything shifted for you. Mm-hmm. And you got the kind of, you start attracting and magnetically be bringing the kind of people that you want in your lives to kind of, so you can collaboratively uh, reach a goal. Am I reach, is that somewhat accurate? You're right on. Okay. But you have to put it out there. Okay. Oh, and you have to, to take the risk. How so? How, I mean, how, what's your experience with putting it out there and taking the risk? Well, this is interesting because there are folks who describe that. When you get described as a pioneer, everybody goes, wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> pioneer is always doing something that's on the cutting edge. And, and I try to explain to people, I said, real pioneers are the people who get shot with the arrows first. <laughs> and then the people who come up behind them who have capitalized on those gains and are able to take it to another level. And and believe me, there's a bunch of arrows we have to deal with. And, and because whenever you introduce change, there are some folks who are receptive to it, but other folks who are adamantly against it. And they'll always find a new reason to be against it. You know? and, uh, and the perfect example I can give you is that when Henry Ford introduced the mass production of, of automobiles, the people who were manufacturing horseshoes and horse-drawn carts were totally against it. Right? Because it was taking something away from <laughs> them, true. but it, you, you can't yeah. stop progress. Right? So the idea of, of, um, of really just taking this new path, is, is there's landmines everywhere. But you know what? It's been that way for everyone. There are people who, who have made incredible contributions to, uh, to mankind, and especially in the United States, where you see everything that's taking place in the last 200 years. These were not rosy paths. These were not people who, who had it all a, a wonderful kind of path to, to where they ended up. It's, it's persistence. You need, uh, you need guts. There's a lot of sleepless nights. But if you believe in that vision, then it, it makes it that much more um, of an endeavor that you want to succeed at. You, that's why I say, I mean, what's more important, people or things, right? So at the end of the day, I said, what, what are we doing this for? I said, well, I want to help. I got kids. <laughs> I have friends. We want to make their life, the next generation, better. It's been passed on to me 
you know, and things are getting better. Don't get me wrong. We have a lot of work in the U.S. of A., don't get me wrong. But if I can contribute in this way, then that's good. That, yeah. that to me, is, is important. Yeah. How do you, how do you um, or have you, work with or deal with that sort of, that's those stresses of being at the forefront of your, of your profession? Is there music you listen to? Do you meditate? Are you a strong you religious guy? How do you how do you how do you cope with those things? Because people are people, and we all have uh, our uh, our frailties, and we're uh, we're we're flawed, and we we have um, a lot of concerns about who we are and our place in the world. How do you kind of address that for yourself? Okay, I'm going to pull back from the architecture a little bit, but people ask me, say, who does inspire you? Who do you yeah. look to? For that strength and 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 how do you uh, how, how do you navigate all of this stuff because it can be absolute madness especially when they start to hear some of the stories that happen on our projects I said well you know I look to Andy Warhol I look to Frank Lloyd Wright I look to Roy Kroc I uh, Roy Kroc, uh, Roy Kroc uh, was the guy who took McDonald's to this right. other level okay. right uh, I look at General Patton I look at folks who've changed the world and done things differently and then I said I also look at this guy named JC. And they say, who's J.C.? And he said, well, that's Jesus Christ. And they said, Jesus Christ. I said, are you like a, a religious fanatic? I said, no, I'm not a religious yeah. fanatic. I'm just Italian Catholic guy from New Jersey. I said, but if you think about it, Jesus was this radical guy. And gets a bunch of tax collectors and, and a few other folks, and, and they changed the world. I said, and imagine what, you know, the, the hurdles these people faced. Okay, and the inspiration once you once you see it all and you experience it and, and you you start to live it, and you say, you know what? If, if these other folks have done it, gosh, I can take a good shot at this. I've got a good chance. So it's it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit of in, insanity as well because yeah. you say, you know, if someone else could do it, I can do it. Now I'm not the second coming, yeah. Jesus Christ. No. We know that. Okay, I don't have that resume, but you know, you do look. <laughs> we do resume. look. <laughs> we we look to the past and we look. To those folks, and we we draw strength from them, and and they may not be creating architecture, but they're they're folks who had to persevere. And then I have an incredible support team. I I have, it's it's incredible because I mentioned all those names of these these well known yes. these well known people in uh, you know like Mother Teresa or Eileen Gray is a designer. All these people who are really fascinating. And and then I have um, I have children. I have a son who did a simple little thing that this kid did. A simple little lesson that inspires me every day. What is it? I'm, I'm like, well, it was, really it was all about just something that happened. We were playing soccer one day, and and he kicked in a goal, but he knew it was an illegal goal. And his friend was there, and and he said, "Dad, I scored the goal." And I said, "Michelangelo," I said, "You know, that, that you know that wasn't a goal." And and this is a kid who's hit that at volatile age, like ten, eleven, whatever it is, and didn't want to look. Kind of like he didn't do it or maybe think his friend wasn't going to think as much of him because he didn't actually score the goal. You know, these kids are wrestling with all these types of peer issues, right? And the kid didn't want to admit it. And then he said, you know what? I did it. He said, I I, I kicked it in illegally. Now, I know it's not an earth-shattering thing, but you see this kid have that courage to say, yeah, I'm, I'm not that guy who's the hero. I draw inspiration from that. Yeah, And, and, and I get that kid and I pick him up off the ground and I say, you know what? You're going to score the goals. You don't worry. But that level of integrity, that, um, that type of thing moves me. So yeah. I, um, I draw inspiration from the small things in life as well. That's Not just those big heroes out there. We're going to have a great show. I'll be right back with that. You're listening to The Modern Architect, KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. 
Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs blood. However, of the 60% of Americans eligible to donate blood, less than 5% actually do. And in the Bay Area, only 3% of those eligible donate. Stanford Blood Center supplies local patients with more than 100,000 blood products per year to help save lives. SBC relies on donors like you to ensure that blood is available when patients need it most. Consider making a difference by donating blood. You could save a life. For more information, visit bloodcenter.stanford.edu. We're talking today with Peter DiMaria, architect and principal of DiMaria Design & Associates. For more information, feel free to visit DiMariaDesign.com. That's www.d-e-m-a-r-i-a-design.com. Peter, having your, ki- your children be inspiration to you, are you also projecting outward to your world, in essence, not just your immediate children or people, but the outward, their, their inspiration, is it also kind of helping to inspire your vision to make a better world for more people? And definitely. And, and I've been very fortunate because I've been involved in the, um, in the educational world for a very long time. Um, I started out teaching at a junior college and then went on to a four-year school and ultimately ended up teaching at the University of Texas School of Architecture in, in Austin. It's amazing what's going on in schools of architecture across the United States. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 what's happened is, first of all, these students are absolutely brilliant. You know, I, I get in there and we're teaching uh, graduate school design. And um, the students come from different walks of life. They don't all have architecture backgrounds, you know, theology majors, history, and all of that. And they bring a set of tools and experiences and, and knowledge to the table that's just mind-boggling. And you get all these people together and they coalesce into a studio and you have no idea what's going to happen. And as a professor, you don't want to exhibit too much control over them, right? You have to give them freedom to flex their muscles and, and, and do what they do. And I try to impart not just what I do from an architectural standpoint, but the mindset of any person that is doing something that's innovative, and something that's different and change and, and, and you know instilling change in the world, positive change. And in many instances, it's all about trying to impart courage on people. Because courage is so important with everything we do, whether we're accountants or whether we're doctors or whether lawyers or, or you know architects. If you want to be at the top of your game, you've got to be out there doing it at the highest level. You know, you you. They're, they're, and, and these students that come into this graduate school in, in Austin, um, that's why they're there. You know, they, they could pick up all this information about architecture, but you can't inspire them. Well, you can, but if, if you're in that studio with them, they start to live and breathe your, your enthusiasm, and, um, and it gets contagious, and it, it, it's reciprocal. Much like my son has an influence on I me, mean, my students do as well. And it's, uh, it's a way in which I like to share. And then I'll give lectures and talks and go to an elementary school and speak to a group there. Do you really? Yeah. Oh, nice. You, you, well, you, you like? have to. You know, especially when you go with the kids. Yeah, exactly. You're you right. Know. It's exactly that. And, um, and quite frankly, it's a lot easier because <laughs> most of these younger folks don't have all these rules imposed upon them, right? Now, they have to go to bed at a certain time. But they don't, they don't, <laughs> they don't say, oh, no, we can't do that. Yeah. And they say, sure, we can do that. Whereas an adult will say, no, you can't do that. And I can say, well, why can't we do that? And they don't have an answer. And they say, well, I think there's some rules about why you can't do that. I said, okay, well, is it unsafe? They said, no. I said, well, 
It might mean we have to work a little bit harder to make it happen. If someone hasn't done it before, maybe it's not accepted yet, but they see hurdles everywhere. Whereas the children are more like, we can do this. It's no big deal. And and it's much like anything else. I mean, it's like the technological age that's upon us. I mean, it's limitless when you look at it. I don't even call this a smartphone anymore. Right? Because it's a phone, but a phone thing is about 5% of what this does. Yeah. <laughs> and, and these kids look at this <laughs> thing right. as this little, I don't know, it's a device. Right? It's, it's not a phone. So they see it as this thing of endless possibilities. And older folks see it as, no, it's got um, it, it's this thing that kind of packs a day timer and a phone together. And, and, and they, they see the world through a different set of eyes. So it's important to plant that seed. And I think that these, uh, these, these younger folks, they get it. And, and this technological age that's upon us is it's one that's really enabled what we do to blossom. Well, guess what? It's not going away. We're, it's not going to be 50 years from now. We're going to say, you know, we're going to shut down the Internet. <laughs> we're going to reject that. In the status quo, we're just going to eliminate all of it and just, just start sending pigeons to deliver our messages. It's not going to happen, right? God knows where these kids are going to take it. So if you can plant the seed for something good to happen with them, they're going to take it exponentially to some other level that is that's, that's unreal. Yeah. And I'm excited by that. I, I, I like to inspire them and see where, you know, where they take it now and where it's going to be 10, 20, 50 years from now. Yeah. The, uh, impart, impart courage. If you don't mind touching upon that, the, the, the courage factor mm-hmm. to be at the forefront of, you know, your industry, your space, your profession. How, does, how do you think someone gets that sort of courage? Are they born with it or can you develop it? Well, I, I think there's a, there's a couple of ways to describe that. One is I don't, in many ways, I don't feel like I'm at the forefront of the industry. And I think if you get caught up in that, you end up way behind, right? <laughs> it cannot be your focus. It, t- courage is, being at the forefront of the industry is a consequence of whatever it is you're doing. And if you happen to be doing it in an excellent manner and you're recognized, then you're there, okay? But I can tell you it, it's fraught with, um, with risk and headaches, there inherently what happens is uh, you work with clients and, and most of our clients are very bold and, and they want to change the world. They want to do things differently. They want to do things sustainably. They want to live a different type of lifestyle. They're not content with living the way that their parents live. doesn't mean their parents were wrong, but they see a new way to live, whether it be technologically driven or whether it be more family-based and their architecture now can support the way they live as opposed to them conforming to this built thing called a home, you know, they all embrace it a little differently. But some of these folks have ideas that you just can't execute. Or they have an idea, yes, I can do something affordably, it's excellent quality, but I don't want any of the restrictions that go along with it. And they kind of an, it's a kind of an oxymoron. I'll use the McDonald's thing as an example. You go to McDonald's and you say, listen, I want a burger and it's going to cost me a dollar, two dollars, whatever it is. I know it is probably like taboo and profanity, you know, in, in the Bay Area to talk about McDonald's, but... Um, <laughs> I'm going to use just the process for a moment. Before McDonald's came along, you could go order a burger and you would sit there and you would wait for 15 or 20 minutes for it in a restaurant the way you wait for a steak today because it was being custom built to your specifications. McDonald's comes along and says, listen, we have two or three things on the menu. We have no plates, no dishes, nothing comes in paper. And this is what we offer. Take it or leave it. And we can give it to you for a dollar because no one's back here doing any thinking. They're just putting things together. It becomes production. Right. Well, some folks love the benefits of that production. They love the low price. They love the, the speed of all of it. And they get very comfortable in all that. And then they say, oh, by the way, I want to change this. I say, okay. so imagine you go to McDonald's. You know, I want it done medium rare. 
And the guy behind the counter goes, we don't do that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then the next guy comes in, I, I want you the little salt on half of it. You know, and they're like, listen, it's going to take 20 minutes to make the burger the way you want it. We post, you know, these things come out every 13 seconds, you know. <laughs> uh, so it kind of runs counter to it. And, and you, you run into that with clients and you try to explain to them, but they're not well versed in that. And, and some of them get it and some of them don't. And, and I always call upon Henry Ford and his quote. And he said, you can have any color car you like so long as it's black. Yeah. Right, and people are scratching their head, and what is this guy talking about? Right, and it's really uh, a narrative on how uh, we want to take care of you, but you have to understand our limitations, and we'll be able to give you that car. But there's going to be some limitations if you want to experience all those benefits. There's some things that go along with it. Yeah. Okay. And 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 that's what we've found in our profession is that while we may have found some solutions for many people, once again. We're trying to help those folks, but they also have to understand, you know, the, the set of rules that go along with it. And for many reasons, this stuff, I have architects who are really upset with me. And they say, you know, you're not practicing architecture anymore. And I said, well, okay, then define architecture. <laughs> you know, and that, that's always a, a too long conversation. But we straddle this, this line between architecture and product design. Because our goal is not to produce architecture for the sake of producing architecture. Our goal is to satisfy some incredible needs of uh, the general public. Yeah. It's always a focus on people. And it doesn't mean we're going to just give people what they want. Otherwise, it will look like people, you know, this kind of design by committee thing that is always a disaster. Um, but we do take a very hard look at what, what enables people to improve that quality of life. We listen to them. We look at that. We observe it. And we make those observations like Henry Ford and his other quote is, you know, when he said, someone asked him, did you have like a uh, focus group? And do you ask people what they wanted? And he said, well, if I asked people what they wanted, uh, they would have said a faster horse. Right? And, and, <laughs> yeah. that's, and, and, and I know it may come off as arrogance, but in, in many ways, uh, Henry Ford is speaking to leadership. You know, he, he was privy to knowledge and technology and all those things that could, could change how people move things about. And you see as you are, and, and sometimes the general public doesn't see everything that you see, but it's incumbent upon us as architects to show those avenues, to show those paths. So the courage gets, it, it comes in because some people are ready for that, but most people are not. And many people are resistant to change. I can tell you that 20 years ago, 25 years ago, these cell phones were available, and they looked like these walkie-talkies yeah. from <laughs> World War II, and uh, whoever had one was considered crazy, right? Or, or some service guy from some unknown industry, right? You know, who is that? But now, it's the equivalent to a belt on your pants. I mean, you just don't, you don't leave home without it. You make sure you have it on, right? So, uh, <laughs> and even those are antiquated now, right? You just get into Velcro, but uh, anyway, the, the courage is required is that, you know, it's not an easy path. So you, you have these conversations and dialogue and your work ethic goes into um, trying to, to change the world, but to show a new path. There's, a, um, uh, there's, an also, there's a quote by, um, by Buckminster Fuller that I love. And he said, you can never change things by fighting them. He said, you can only change things by creating a new model that makes the old model obsolete. Huh. Okay, and, and what that is, because we're not, I'm not interested in fighting with architects about what architecture <laughs> is, but I am interested in creating something that provides an alternative way of achieving some goals that otherwise have been either ignored or not, not satisfied by the architectural profession. And that's where I get in trouble with the other architects. You know, they say, you know, you're, you're changing the rules. I said, exactly. Ah, I said, uh, uh -huh. and I think sometimes that's the only way you, you can do it. Yeah. I said, because I, I know that, the, um, 
there's no way that you know they're, they're interesting uh, the, there's the, the ultimate fighting championship yeah UFC there. and those type of things yeah there, uh-huh. there, there are folks there who, who fight a certain way and if you fight that certain way there's only there's only so much you can do you always find that bigger guy or that stronger guy or a guy with a harder head and you can't <laughs> knock him out right so what do you have to do you have to find a different way to, to subdue this person right and, and that just involves creativity and studying leverage and all these other things right but it's how we survive. This is how those darn Italians have, have survived. <laughs> yeah. You know, you have to the adapt. And, and, and even I, I, I said, um, uh, gosh, survival of the fittest it wasn't the strongest survivors. Those who are able to adapt, the fastest yes. are the ones who are going to survive. You know, and, and, and we, we, we follow that mantra, you know, in just about everything, everything we do. Not just architecture. Just yeah. Everything across the board. Yeah. Peter, what, what recent projects are you doing or you, uh, have you been doing, if you're at liberty to share with us recently? You know, what, what projects are you working on now? Mm-hmm. To, if, if you're at liberty to share with us that our, uh, I think our, our, our audience would love to hear. Okay. Well, there's a, a few things. One is we are still uh, spearheading um, the movement word, of, spearhead. of, of uh cargo container based uh, buildings and we've been doing that long enough now for maybe for about 12 years that we've we've almost hit a plateau on what's possible with those containers and the, the containers the, the applications are endless but containers are are made to ship goods bananas sneakers bicycles <laughs> or anything that's coming from somewhere else overseas bananas, yeah i mean that's what they they're would for. have a slippery one there no point yeah. <laughs> i love it <laughs> so <laughs> um but uh so you have this incredible challenge with building departments and governing agencies to prove to them that what you have is a viable building block and because there's nothing in the code book that says these things can actually stand up and that someone's going to take the liability for it and approve it. And folks are going to be in that building and they're going to be safe. So all these building departments, governing agencies usually frown upon it. Now, we've had success everywhere we've gone with it, but this is one of the reasons why it's been so uh, sluggishly accepted. Right? And I recognized all this and I have got involved with some folks who contacted me oh, about a year or so ago. And I've been very lucky because... Once I did change my direction, it started to attract folks who had a common vision. And I've been so fortunate um, to connect with um, a gentleman named Max Azria. And um, he has a general contractor. His name is Danny Moisel. And a, a young lady as well who's part of the organization. Her name is Yasmin uh, Hanane. And they, um, they shared this vision. And they kind of cherry-picked me out of the U.S. and said, listen, come and, come and work with us. And and they said, we want to do what you're doing. And these folks had the resources, they had the vision, they had the experience. And, and, the, and on top of all that, they're just incredible people. And I found people who can work at the same intensity level that I do. Now, in the past, what I had done is I have uh, tried to be the general contractor, the architect, the, the, the spokesperson, all those things. There's only so many hours in a day. <laughs> you can only do so many things at the level of excellence. So... I've been fortunate to connect with these folks, and, and we've created this startup company called Azria Home. And Azria Home is predicated on bringing affordability, high design architecture, at an affordable price point to the masses. Okay? And in order to do that, if you play by the same rules, there's no way for us to survive. In other words, if I'm going up against Kaufman and Broad, they, they buy lumber at a price point that I will never see in my lifetime. I right? own the forest. Right? So I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't compete with them from a price point, you know. Uh, but I can compete in terms of quality. So what's happened is 
we are changing the rules, and we've gone to China and to find the people who create the um, the containers. And we're creating our own box that's based in cargo container construction. So we've leveraged all these incredible things about the, uh, the container and combined them with acceptable steel components that are the governing agencies all accept. And, and, and they now no longer looked at as a container, even as the corner castings, all those fun things, and shipped yeah. around, has all those benefits of a container, but we've eliminated all the things that have held back the container. So this is a universal building block that is now transforming this entire container world for us. Outstanding. Let's return right back to it. This is the Modern Architect on KZSU, Stanford 90.1 FM. Loaves and Fishes Family Kitchen will hold its third annual Feed the Need 5K and 10K run walk on Sunday, June 3rd along the Guadalupe River Trail in San Jose. Proceeds benefit Loaves and Fishes' efforts to provide more than a half million nutritious meals this year to children, families, seniors, and the homeless. Corporate sponsorship opportunities are available. For more information or to register, please visit loavesfishes.org. We're talking today with Peter DiMaria, architect and principal of DiMaria Design Associates. For more information, you can visit DiMariaDesign.com, DiMariaDesign.com. And feel free to visit azriahome.com. That's A-Z-R-I-A-H-O-M-E, azriahome.com. Peter, share with us how, um, you know, you, you, you've taken, uh, you've you met incredible people. That seems to be kind of a theme you're looking for, <laughs> incredible people. You can have all the resources in the world, but if you don't have a certain passion or a certain vision that's going to be aligned with where you are, mm-hmm. you, it's, it's, it's just, uh, it's not going to work for anyone else. Mm-hmm. How else is it impact the, the cargo, uh, the cargo homes working with them that's uh, very unique? Mm-hmm. Uh, This is a good point, and I I agree with half of it, and then I disagree with the other half. Okay. Um, You're right. It is important to find those people who share that vision. But once you find them, and I'm a stickler for these quotes, right? I I have a quote by by General Patton, and he says, if everyone in the room is thinking the same, somebody isn't (laughs) thinking, right? So what I love to have, I've found these people, we share a vision, but we get into a room and it is flat-out arguments, and it's not because we dislike each other. So we're way beyond this idea of, you know, ego. Okay. They have people who are really passionate about what they believe in and they share it. And inevitably what happens is when people share that passion, you may not take 100% of what they're doing and adopt it, but you'll take a percentage of it. You'll take a percentage from someone else and you create this hybrid and it becomes so strong and so fortified that it, it, it takes it to another level. That This is the beauty of collaboration, right? So the folks that I'm working with all bring a little bit of different experience to the table. And, I mean, one is more important than the next. Uh, the, the beauty of it is we're all on the same path. And what happens is when you bring those people together, and it's not just one plus one equals two, it's one plus one equals like 75. <laughs> because it, 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 it exponentially, it, it blossoms, right? You, you, you can't predict where it's going, you know? Um, and that's the beauty of those relationships you're talking about. But if you stop yourself from that and you get into that kind of ivory tower, well, I'm the architect and I'll steer the ship and I know better than everyone else, you never approach it. And events, you become antiquated, you become kind of old in your thinking. And we're constantly innovating. We're constantly moving forward. Every product that goes into this building is consistently 
gosh, we, we analyze, reanalyzed, you know, and the technology is changing uh, so often, and you know yourself, and, and I mentioned it in 2002, there have been more new building materials introduced to the market than in the previous 2,000 years. So the palette for architects has expanded exponentially. And like, wow, if you can't be creative in this setting, then, you, you know, you need to you know, get into a different <laughs> profession. So this is exciting, you know, because I yeah. walk into a meeting and, and I have somebody who comes in, he's just started working for us, hasn't a clue about architecture, a, a petroleum engineer, and says, you know, I found this material. I'm like, yeah. He said, do you think we can use this? And I spent a half a day looking at that material and saying, you know what, this is a great idea. We need to take a look at it. In fact, one of the materials that opened the door for the cargo container uh, project to be accepted by the building and safety departments was the discovery of a material called Supertherm. And it's just a ceramic-based insulating paint that's basically used on the space shuttle. NASA was using it, right? Because when the space shuttle comes back to the environment, it's going so fast it will burn up. Well, if you've seen the space shuttle up close, you would think it's like an an airplane made out of titanium and real cool and slick. Not at all. It's actually clad in ceramic tile, right? Yeah, it looks scaly. It's not the same tile in your shower. It might be, okay? (laughs) But underneath all of that, this is is ancient technology that prevents the ship and the people in it from burning up when they come back to the atmosphere. So we looked at this and said, wait a minute, we're trying to insulate these containers. A friend of ours showed it to us and said, listen, it works. And then we found that it was accepted in the state of California on industrial rooftops, and it's called Sacramento and said, listen, I want to use this on a residential building. And they said, no, you can't do that. I said, well, why not? He said, because it's not approved. I said, well, does it off gas? Is there something toxic? He said, no, it's perfectly fine. I said, well, then why can't I use it? He said, because it's only approved for rooftops on commercial buildings or industrial buildings. I said, well, hold on a second. I said, there's no side effects. It's perfectly healthy. I said, and you're saying I can't use it. I said, well, why is that? He said, well, the people who manufactured never came in and applied for a permit to have it used on of residential structures. I said, you're out of your mind. I said, I'm going to paint this on the building. We're going to use it. It's that simple. So eventually they said, we're going to let you use it on this one project, but you have to promise you're just never going to do it again. I said, if you're at it, forget it. I said, we're putting it on the building and that's it. And, and once we put that on there, people started to understand how to insulate these buildings. Now, our buildings actually supplemented with that material. We use traditional uh, insulation. We use recycled denim insulation. We find all these materials that are, um, you know, give us the same R value, but they're not relying upon petroleum. And there are pros and cons to all these things. But we're in a constant state of uh, of improvement and refinement and uh, analysis of different materials. It's almost like designing cars. You've got to design the ultimate car, and guess what? Three years from now, it's it's yeah. old. You have to infuse new technology, new benefits, all these things to make them safer, more stylish, better fuel efficiency, you name it. Yeah. Uh, so we're on a constant treadmill with this. It's not a traditional architectural practice. So it's... Um, it's wonderful, actually. <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you work? It's, this is one example of working with a, a government agency. How else do you work with a, a government agencies with, with um, how streamlined your processes that we're talking about in the green room? Right. Well, th- this goes back once again to not playing by the rules. There, you play by the rules, but you always find an exception or a loophole, or you find another method that's not been exploited, much like that ceramic-based insulating paint that is seen only in a narrow industrial world. Now, all of a sudden, it's used all over these homes. So uh, what we found is that the state of California already provides us an avenue to have our projects plan-checked by a third-party plan-check team. They've been licensed by the state to do plan check 
instead of the local building and safety department. Instead what of. that means is you hmm. have a, a close working relationship with them and it's not filled with the perils of building and safety plan check review. And people have been through that. There are nightmare stories. There's some wonderful stories, but in general, it usually takes too long. And folks don't want to be caught up in the kind of non-predictability of all of it. So those folks actually work very closely with us. And not only do they approve our projects for plan check, but they are also responsible for approving our prefabricated modules that we create. So we've kind of circumvented the plan check process. We do have to get our foundations you know, approved by the local building and safety department. But the, um, but the building itself is being plan checked much faster and it's being fabricated off-site and all these things translate into speed and cost savings. So we didn't reinvent that or, or invent it. It's something that was out there, but sometimes... as um, you know, how you see the world determines how you live. It determines so many different creative paths for us. Uh, and, and very often, we just have to observe a lot more. Uh, that, that's the best advice I can give you. There are, there are folks, I mean, the way you see the world determines your actions. And I, I've, I've read recently that one and the planet, one in 100 people have a college education. One in 100? One in 100 okay. on the planet. Now, we're here at Stanford University, and the norm is, you know, 99 out of 100 would know what this is, right? But if you start to look at that and say, wait a minute, one in 100 have a university experience, those other 99 people are really important, and they're going to see the world much differently than that person in the university. So it starts to give you a better perspective on this thing that you're calling affordable housing and who it's serving. You know, are we going to serve a small group of humanity? Or do we want to make a larger impact and take care of a lot of people? So uh, all of that stuff forces you to look at um, design solutions much differently. And it forces you to live differently. It forces you to take action differently. And I think that's, that's the key. And if, if you want to take a look at what we're doing, is that I've now surrounded myself with those people you said that are so important. All these people are people of action. I mean, don't get me wrong. We have some good arguments. We have some great discussions. We have all types of stuff. It's, it's wonderful, right? But these people are committed to making a difference, and they do it. And there's no substitute for that that I have found. I mean, I love the theory. I think it was, um, who is it, Cicero? Cicero. Yeah. Great name. It um, said, sometimes the battles are won by the general and his, his strategy, and, and, and a weapon's not even lifted. And other times, the soldiers... <laughs> are the ones who win the battle by pure determination and grit. So there's no correct way in all of it. But you have to be receptive to both of those, right? And the team we've created is not scared to get down on the front lines. But at the same time, they're going to engage in that strategy type of thing that makes all the difference. So it's, a, it's an incredible team, and, and, and I feel very humbled to be with these folks. Excellent. You're listening to The Modern Architect, KCSU 90.1 FM, Stanford. If you and your coworkers or friends are hungry for meaningful volunteer opportunity, you can lend a hand to help feed families with critically ill children through the Megabytes program at Ronald McDonald House at Stanford. Megabytes engages volunteer groups of up to eight people who prepare and serve dinner to the 123 families staying at the house. Each group makes a tax-deductible donation of $600 to offset the cost of ingredients for the upcoming meal. You'll help feed families for an average of about $2 per person. Visit www.rmhstanford.org for more information. 
We're talking today with Peter DiMaria, architect and principal of DiMaria Design & Associates. For more information, you can visit DiMariaDesign.com and Azria, A-Z-R-I-A, home.com. That's A-Z-R-I-A, home.com. Peter, that's grit. Grit. How is that something you think you're born with, or do you think you kind of can develop it? Uh, gosh, I um, once again, I, I, I point to, I have to point to our neighborhood, you know, where I grew up. And there's a certain level of, of grit there. And while I was there, are, where I grew up, these people are tough people. And and I look at the generation that came before us, my my dad and his whole generation of folks, and, and even my mom. These people were around, they were a wave of immigrants that came from Italy. And my grandparents came from Italy, and then my, everybody in the family either fought in World War II or the Korean War and all this stuff. And then these people came back and created homes and families and all this stuff. And, 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 and I look back at that, and I go, wow, and how, how did these people do all that? But it was just a tough neighborhood in general. And, and was, oh, I had to leave. I, I wasn't <laughs> tough enough for it. You know, they, but, but I go back there, and, and I appreciate what, what's there. And, but you learn lessons <laughs> from that as early on as, as a kid, how to, how to survive and, and, and how, to, um, how to persevere. You know, it's more about, uh, it's, it's more about surviving than being offensive. It's more maybe about defensive, right? Uh, so you always have a kind of a plan. How am I going to get through all of this madness and, and keep my sanity and stay on my, uh, on my course? And, and that grit is something that I think has to be, it has to be learned. Right? It's not something you read in a book. And, <laughs> and you, have to, <laughs> you have to get out there and you have to fail. You, you just have to fall flat on your face. And, and in the architectural world, that doesn't mean literally you're falling down. It means you get sued. It means okay. your building leaks. It means the building and safety department is mad at you. It means that the clients are happy. But every one of those people, there's 10 people who are thrilled about what you're doing. So you have to accept that, that things are going to go wrong. There, there was a gentleman who, who, this is an interesting thing that took place in L.A. There was a gentleman who said, Peter, I want you to nominate me for president of the AIA. Okay. And he was, I think, 75 years old at that time. And most architects are thinking about not practicing. And I said, you want me to nominate you? I said, aren't I supposed to call you and say, I want to name and nominate you? And, and he was a pretty bold guy. And I said, I'll nominate you. You know, I kind of like what he was stood up for. And um, to make a long story short, he went through the whole election. He didn't win the election. And I called him up. And I said, you know, I'm really sorry things didn't work out for you. He goes, you know what? They're just not ready for me yet. <laughs> Did you really? And that, that really moved me. And I said, yeah. He was not being a joker, you know. Yeah. This is the mindset that folks have. Is listen, we're I'm going somewhere, and and whether people are on board or not, I'm going. That's the grit that I really look to, you know. It, it does involve the sleepless nights, the hard work, all those different things, bootstrapping, but the determination. There's nothing stronger than that human determination, and when, once you have that, you are a uh, a force that has to be reckoned with, and more often than not, you're not at the end of the rope where it's like kind of do or die, people recognize that, that determination. And that's when you start to attract those folks and say, you know what, this is going somewhere. This is moving, and I, I know I can contribute to it. Then it becomes this collaborative, collaborative effort that, that picks up momentum like you could never dream. Yeah, so how you're contributing now is with your the, the container homes. Share with us a bit about the, uh, the process that you're going through and, and the homes. They're, they're spectacular. I love your work. I love where you're going, but uh, tr if you can, please try to convey it to our listeners. Okay, so 
what we're doing is we've found that we cannot bring an affordable home to the masses if we play by the traditional rules here in the United States. We're consistently at the mercy of the costs for labor, unions, fluctuation in material costs, all those things that drive prices up and down and make the building process an unpredictable process. And this drives people nutty. Right? It's the largest expense they've ever pursued, and they don't know what it costs. They don't know how long it's going to take to build, and they're not quite sure what it's going to look like when it's done. Right? Most people just fall apart and don't even want to deal with that. Say, no, I'm not hiring an architect. This is insane. So that, that condition has existed for a long time. But what we found when I got together with this new group of folks and this startup is I said, we're going to do the same thing that the uh, cell phone industry has done, that the automobile industry has done, and, and many other industry, computer industry. I said, we're going to take our work overseas. We're going to do our manufacturing overseas and we're going to do it at a more affordable price point. Then we're going to have to pay to ship it back. We know it costs all that. And we're going to be able to bring it here in the United States. And I said, well, that's easier said than done. I said, because when you put up a building and have to pass all these codes that we have in California, the National Building Code, our Title 24 engineer requirements, all those things enable building to stand up during an earthquake and everything else. Well, the group I'm involved with was committed to doing that. So we went to China found the people who were manufacturing the containers and said, we want to create this joint effort. And we created a business there. We have a team of engineers in Shanghai. And we are now fabricating homes or prefabricating homes that come to the United States, finished to a level of about 97%. That's significant. 97%? Yeah, Complete? A minimal amount of work takes place on the side. We do have to build the foundations here, but oh, really we're buttoning together different modules that we have. It's like a phone. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it basically, it's revolutionary, and it's enabling us to do things at an affordable price point, as well as doing things fast. And, and the, the speed thing I can't emphasize enough, because while the affordability factor is important to everyday homeowners who are buying a single-family home, when you find developers say, no, I want to ma- create homes for 50 people who need it. I want to create an affordable housing project for 100 people, and they can get that project in four months instead of a year in four months. That means major dollars to them, right? And because there's no carrying cost, it's tight on the uh, time on the site. All those things kind of get eliminated. So we're in the spot now where we had our first project approved by the state of California, and that that's a milestone that's never been done before for a project that's manufactured outside of the U.S. And we now have four, five other projects on the burner that are single-family homes, but the multifamily projects are there as well. So we're trying to bring a product designed and product manufactured mindset to the world of architecture to satisfy housing needs for people who need it, right? People who can't afford that $300 per square foot home, whatever it might be um, in the Bay Area or Los Angeles. Uh, It's folks who really need the housing. So we think that we're going to have a positive impact across the board. And these projects, and inherently prefab work and, and manufactured homes have always been seen as inferior quality, you know, I, I grew up in New Jersey, and they, they had projects. We called them the projects in Newark. And these things were built in the early 60s. And in the 80s and 90s, they were blowing them up, imploding them and tearing them down. There were, there were just these brick buildings. And, and yes, you can put everyone in a box, but that's not the best of architecture. That's not going to contribute to a quality of life that you want to be exposed to. And and they tear these buildings down. So we, we're building things for the ages. Everything we do is heavy-gauge steel. It's mold-proof, termite-proof, you know, fire-proof, all, all these things have great advantages. And it adopts more of that 
Mediterranean or that Italian mindset where they say, listen, I'm not building something so it lasts as long as I'm going to live. I'm building it for my kids, my grandkids, and their grandkids. It's, it's, it's more about longevity. Affordability now, but an affordability also in the long term because the, the maintenance costs are reduced to nothing. I never have to tent the house because I have termites, yeah. you know. So uh, there, there are some issues with doing things overseas, and I understand that. When I was a kid, Honda didn't make cars. They made lawnmowers. Yes. Right? Right. I mean, you don't buy a Japanese lawnmower. Are you crazy? <laughs> I mean, that was a mindset in the 60s and 70s, right? And, but that, that changed, you know. And, and I believe the same thing will happen with housing. People say, wait a minute. The qual- we have quality control people and inspectors from the United States. We fly them to China. So we're getting the same quality inspection. Every nut and bolt in that building has to be approved for material content, you name it. It's, a, it's, it's almost like building a computer. And all of it is scrutinized to the max, brought back here. There's, there's volumes and volumes of, of literature about the products that are in it because we don't want it to fail. We want this thing to be scrutinized. We want it to be the ultimate solution. So yeah. we've taken that path. And, uh, How'd you and make st- them so beautiful as well? Well, that's, there's the, I mean, they, it, they it's look- one thing to satisfy a functional need yeah. right, or even a social need. But as architects, you're hitting on something really important. It's our job. It's incumbent upon us to create these things or these spaces and these places that are going to improve our quality of life. It can look wonderful. That's great. I've seen plenty of architecture. It looks good, but doing nothing for anybody in and around it. So you might as well just have this hologram, uh, put it up on your wall and have a nice rendering. Okay, so uh, I, I'm interested in people. I'm interested in the quality of life. I'm interested in improving that. And I think they can coexist. I don't think yeah. you have to have one or the other. And, and this is another area where I get in trouble with architects and say, oh, who cares about the people? It's just got to be oh. an incredible thing in proportion and scale. And I say, yes, you have to have all that. I say, but you can't forget about the people. And I think that's the most important thing. And that drives it. Okay? At a certain point, you know, you, you figure out the functional things. You figure out the affordability issue. Then you're starting to focus on, you know, we can really take care of people here. Actually, so that they're not tearing down your projects. You know, 20 or 25 years from now, yeah. and someone sits there and says, you know what, this place is heaven on earth. And people want to protect it 25 years from now because of the quality of life, that setting that it's created. You know, so that, that, uh, that's inspiring to me, that, that, that long-term goal and vision that we have. Peter, it's been excellent, and we're honored that you were on our, our show today. Thank you so much for, for uh, coming out to see us. Well, I, I can't thank you enough. You've created a forum here for some really incredible things to happen, and I can only hope that I've um, you know, met some of the standards here. Absolutely. <laughs> You've exceeded them. Are you kidding? <laughs> and we hope you consider coming back in the very near future because there's so much I could see that uh, we can cover and love to cover. We'd love to do that. When As We Are Home launches, I think you're going to have uh, your hands full. Excellent. And I'd love to share it with you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dioro. Our guest today has been... Peter DiMaria, architect and principal of DiMaria Design Associates, a creative and innovative design firm offering architecture, planning, branding, and interior design services. In their quest to unlock the widest array of design possibilities, they also explore disciplines and successful models and case studies beyond the boundaries of architecture. 
They also team up with experts, public and private entities, and educational institutions from various fields in an unrelenting, love that word, unrelenting design process. For more information, feel free to visit demariadesign.com. That's demariadesign.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and is a production of KZSU Radio. Today, the recording engineer is Darlene Franklin, Chief Engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Caleb B. Smith. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Diero. If you'd wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu.